0: Welcome to Episode 8 of the Harry Potter Lexicon Podcast. My name is Steve Van Der Ark, and I am the creator and editor-in-chief of the Harry Potter Lexicon website, and we're going to talk uh, once again about uh, the Harry Potter books, uh, maybe touch on the movies just a little bit, but uh, before we do any of that, I really would like to talk a little bit about Pottermore. Um, I finally made my, made my way all the way through Chapter uh, 17, which is as far as you can go right now on and i have to tell you i i find I, I i found the the experience just delightful i think that's the best word for it but i was reading a lot of the comments on there and um i think i think some people have have themselves stuck on the idea that it's supposed to be some kind of a game and it really isn't and i know there's there's house points and i know you can make potions and things like this but but really the whole purpose of this if you if you're looking at it your your goal is not really to play some kind of a game because if that is the goal then i would have to say it's not not particularly engaging the the goal of this really is is to kind of immerse yourself in the stories immerse yourself in the books and of course i didn't uh, i have to admit i didn't I didn't have the book open as I went through it. I've read that especially book 1 so many times I pretty much have it memorized. So I knew exactly where I was, but, but but the point being that as you're reading it, the the whole the whole experience is one of kind of losing yourself a little bit into that that world, into the visual, into the 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 place that it is. Um and which is why it's mostly a series of of paintings, of artwork and And wonderful artwork, and I think what I like so much about it, aside from the fact that it 's got a, a a little bit of animation and it has some the depth to it, which I find fascinating it 's that that really draws you in as you as you double click and you move in one level and then you double click again and uh, i 'm quite sure at least a few of those scenes had more than one level to them uh, I mean more than three I, I think there was at least one where you went in four, and sometimes you have to go in and then back out again in order to to kind of find everything but uh, i 'm getting off track the point is. That those images those those scenes are what you're experiencing when you read uh, when, when you look at the if you read a section of the book and then you look at that scene in a sense you're seeing kind of the the, the way J k. Rowling envisions it and and I've noticed over and over again that they, they intentionally uh, avoid making it look like the films there are, there's a number of places where I thought well this is this is definitely not not the film it's almost like they're i don't don't know how intentionally but i did mention i think at one point that the that the the scene in the uh, with the cupboard under the stairs is actually reversed from what we see in the films so i mean it's 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 not at all just film film scenes reproduced and there are details in the in the scenes which are clearly from the books, designed from the text of the books, with no regard to how a, a particular director or filmmaker or anything envisioned it and, and put it on on film. Um interesting, some things that I noticed, you never see um you never see the characters' faces. At least as far as I could tell, there's at no point do you see um any of the characters' faces. They're always hidden, they're always kind of um I know in in the hospital wing, Harry's face is buried in a book, and things like this. So it's it's you intentionally are not seeing the the actors, um, and the settings. Uh, uh, in other words, the setting themselves are are the settings themselves are the focus, are what you're supposed to be looking at. And so things like finding galleons, uh, where there are a few, certainly not enough to make it. Uh, like you're not going to get rich doing that, and you certainly couldn't. As far as I can tell, you're not going to be able to sustain. Uh, making a lot of potions that way because you're not going to be able to build up your uh, your supply of galleons if you buy a whole bunch of stuff. Um, but but uh, th- I did have a couple of things that, that, I don't know, bothered me a little, if you would. I did run into some glitches in the graphics and things, but I think that's simply because it's still in beta. When I was doing my wand sorting, for example, um, the little card things that come up, actually uh, I could only see about half the image. Uh, the other just completely was not there. It was just Invisible, and uh, one of them I had to just guess where the where the, where the right answer would be. So so there are things like this, but um, uh, that that I think is just a uh, part of the the beta of it. But th- th- I think the thing that bothered me the most, um, and I'm hoping that this is a temporary thing, but there were so many opportunities for not for games, not for playing Quidditch or playing Wizard Chess or any of that kind of stuff, but there were so many opportunities for additional information of the kind that uh, we can only get from rolling. Uh, for example, you collect um, chocolate frog cards. And I think I collected all of them. I've, I, th- I think so. If I missed one, I guess I'll find out eventually. But when you collect them, you'll get a little bit of text that tells what the card is, so something about that character or whatever is on the card. And it, as soon as you say collect it, that goes away. I have yet to find any way to see that text again. I I wish I would have read them a little more closely because I don't think there was anything new in there, but um, when I look in my trunk and I see my collected cards, I don't see any way to actually read the cards again to see that text. Also, I mean, you collect a whole bunch of books, and I know that some of them give you spells, um, but uh, some of them are, are, are... some of the other books, it seems to me that would be a great opportunity for some additional information. Um, and, and you can't even read the descriptions of the books again. They're just sitting there in your trunk, and if you click on them, nothing happens. So... Um, there would seem to be a lot of opportunity here to add additional information, and I'm I'm hoping that that's something that's planned, and that as time goes by, they're going to add new things, and and so and some of the new information that is in there is wonderful. Uh, Rowling has has really uh, you know there's, even the, the short little bit about the character of Quirrell, for example, and where she got the idea for the name and things like this. Uh, those kinds of things are are just really. Uh, just fun to read. I, I I could use more of those, more of that information about particular scenes. I'd like to see her write a little bit more about um, uh, why, why she chose to do certain things, why certain scenes are in there, um, maybe about some scenes that are missing. So there's a lot of space for more information in there. Um, will I go back now that I've gotten all the way through? Oh, I think so. Will I Will I be trying to make potions and and things like this? I, I'm not so sure I'll be doing that, but I'll be certainly going through and looking at the scenes again, and just just kind of absorbing those details. Um, and I might even just, uh, if I find time, to to read a section of the book and go back in and look, um, and just kind of see how the details in the picture match up, because I've I've spotted all, all uh, quite a number of things which which are definitely not film things, but which are things which are in the books. So. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of Pottermore. I'm, I see the potential for far more than is already there, and I hope that um, I know they're working on the, the, the section for Chamber of Secrets already. But I hope that they're going to add, continue to add more information to what's already there because I think there's so many possibilities for it. And I mean, a good ag- example is uh, I was I was looking at the the dragon the books about dragons, about dragon breeding for fun and profit and things like this, and, you know, we actually have, on J.K. Rowling's website, a piece of that book, which she um, uh, created, a little scrap of, from her notebooks, which shows up on J.K.R.com, J.K.Rowling.com, and, um, you know, that would be a perfect thing to link into, um, uh, to link into uh, to, to Pottermore, so we could pull up things like that. And I can only hope that that is what they're planning to do at some point. I'm talking about uh, sources like that. That would be one of the sources where we get information uh, about um, about things that go into the lexicon on the website, and and we have those included in the book. And so, um, there are a number of these sources which which are fun to to, to look at now. Some of them are kind of you might say they're out of date. I was looking at um, I was looking for references to Chamber of Secrets and doing some reading on on that just because, I, as you know, I'm writing the series of books, uh, which uh, the first of which has come out, which is an e-book, um, which is a reader's guide to uh, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Um, that book just came out a couple of weeks ago. I'm working on book two, and so I'm doing a lot of research on book two. And I was reading through some old interviews, and of course, the place to do that would be Acquae Quote. Uh, and I'll put the link to Accio Quote, which, which well, it's dot uh, quoteorg but I'll put it in the show notes as well. But I was going in there and looking at, uh, I was actually looking at um, the Edinburgh uh, Film Book Festival, um, an interview with J.K. Rowling, which is from August 15 of 2004, when she was talking a little bit about the, the connections with um, with book two and book six she uh, actually said the whole storyline that was removed from book two gave away too much too early and became a major part but not the only part of book six so i'm thinking you know we were talking last time about the the connection between two and six and how uh, what would it be if the story from six became uh had been part of book two what would we have learned and i think you know again we don't know she doesn't say what it is but um you know i'm thinking if it was a lot of more background information about voldemort um how much we would have known at that point, and then I can see where, as, the, as she structured her stories, where she made that decision, not to put that information in book two, and then left it for book six. Um, and we are going to talk a little bit more about book two and book three uh, in a moment. But some of the other sources that I find so interesting—I was looking once I get on Accio quote—I'm there for for hours just because there's so much, and I have read all of these at one time or another. But some of them—it's been a long time since I've read them. And I was looking at some of the interviews from 2000 and 2001, and as I was reading some of these, I I remembered uh, what struck me was, was where we were as fans back when these interviews came out. And I can remember these vividly because at that point we were looking forward to book four. We had books one through three, and it's very hard, even for me, to remember what it was like not to know, even from book four on. Um, but to be at that point of wondering about so many things, um, because at that point, uh, Rowling was at the, in the process then of of stringing out her red herrings and her and her puzzles and her clues and her hints, but she wasn't giving any answers at all. I mean, so much of it was completely unknown, and we as fans were were. Desperately trying to figure things out, and I think I've mentioned before that that was the point where the internet was just coming to the kind of the stage where communities were forming and people were finding each other and conversations were starting to happen. And when when, you know, we laugh about it, but it's like your best friend was somebody whose real name you didn't even know—you only knew their screen Um, name—and and it was it was exciting and it was fun and it was it was it was so intriguing to try to kind of delve into this story and to try to figure out what was going on. And and I was looking at... So there's interviews that she did with Barnes & Noble back then and with Scholastic where she was giving... Um, Information and she would so often people would ask her a question and she would say, "Um, "Oh, I can't answer that. It would give too much away." Which of course for us would right away we'd think, "Okay, what was the question? And what would have given this away?" And uh, you know, and it's so funny because now I look at it and I read this and I think, "Oh, I guess I can see why she couldn't say that." And we thought it was this and had nothing to do with what it what it ended up being. But um, so so when we read these these um, uh, interviews from from back then. For, for a good example is uh, somebody, this is where someone asked her what Snape's age was, and this was right around book four, and she said 34 or 35, which, you know, it didn't take us long to start backtracking and thinking about, okay, so if he was 34 or 35 here, that means he was, and we worked out that he was going to, you know, the marauders, therefore, Snape and the rest of those those people were all going to to Hogwarts uh, in about the early 1970s we didn't even have it narrowed down exactly at that point but we we started to put together get this idea for what the timeline was of of all of this and therefore as we were trying to figure out the relationships between the characters and, and and kind of understanding this whole world of Hogwarts in the '70s, which was the first rise of Voldemort, uh, as we were trying to work that all out, that little detail of Snape's age was 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 a huge deal to us because we would we would run off from that to try to work out so many so many things, and it's interesting because back then that was before the films, and so we didn't even have this sort of mental image of of um, of the films to go on, everything we had was in the books and in these these interviews that Rowling would give, so it'd be kind of fun it's kind of fun now, even just to go back and to look at these and kind of analyze a little bit of of what was she talking about what what little what information was she giving out, and then try to remember what it was like when that was all we had that plus three books. Um now, for example, if, if she gives an interview, or especially the interview she gave after book seven, um, we look for the little bits that are still missing. And back then, we were looking at the little bits and trying to work out the huge amount that we still didn't know. And so the interviews are fascinating, and even if for no other reason, just in a historical sense, if we want to be so grandiose as to think of our Potter history uh, as fans as being history or historical, but I kind of think it was... And so that's it's fun. If you get a chance, go to Ako quote and uh, spend a little time. Read some of those early interviews and just see some of the things that she said, and and try to put those together. Um, and I did mention the dragon breeding for fun and and profit. I think, and and if you look at that as a source, which of course is from Rowling's website, and you look at those details, it is interesting because uh, some of the information on there actually gives us information which contradicts what was in um at least on the face of it it contradicts what's in uh, fantastic beasts and where to find them according to fantastic beasts there are only 12 species of dragons i think 10 or 12 and um uh, 10 i think actually it says there's 10 purebred species and then it goes on to mention or uh, the the list them list the 10 well in the um in that Dragon Breeding for Fun and Profit, which is, again, one of our canon sources. Um, and, and if you're not sure how to find that, go to the, the lexicon. has a whole section about jkrolling.com, uh, and it lists how to find all of these um, little secrets and surprises and things. Anyway, on there it says, it mentions two different kinds of dragons, the Catalonian fireball and the Portuguese long snout. Now, it's interesting. There's, there's a couple of possibilities. Either these are hybrids, which, you know, could be, uh, that these are hybrids of the 10 purebred species. It could also be that because this is part of her notes, uh, that possibly this was notes that she wrote before book one and that these are breeds, which, uh, when she got around to actually creating fantastic beasts, she didn't go with those, but she went with some other ones. We have no way of knowing that, but again, if she would put that on Pottermore, we would be delighted to know. Um, so it's just interesting that this particular source, um, Is is something that again gives us one more little thing to talk about and to speculate about, and again I wish that would be linked on Pottermore. Uh, I mean, what a great opportunity to put some of that information in. A couple other things. We're now uh, we're talking about dragons. We're in letter C and letter D in the lexicon, and as you know, I I start I grab the lexicon book. Uh, and I just open it up to, to the next letter, and we've been through A and B, and we're talking about C, and moving into D for dragons, and I guess C for Catalonian fireball dragon. Um, one of the things that struck me as I was looking at this and is, is a spell, and I'm going to, uh, there's a, a little story here. The spell that I've been noticing was uh, the Blasting Curse, uh, Confringo. And by the way, it would be confringo, not confringo, because Latin doesn't have an NG diphthong, it just has an N and a G, so it wouldn't be the ing, ing, ing sound. So confringo, um, which uh, is, is in Deathly Hallows. Now, why I find that so interesting is because in the movies, they came up with spells, they invented spells. Instead of using the ones that already existed in the Harry Potter universe, they kept inventing new ones. Which I never could quite work out why they did that, and then when it came to uh, Deathly Hallows, Rowling did not go and use the spell names that are in the book. She didn't, or in the film, she didn't use Bombarda, which is the one they invented for the for the films, which is not canon. It's not at all from the books anywhere. Um, instead, she invented new ones which have the same effect, and it's just interesting. I really would love to find out why why that is why she does she consider uh spells that they that the script writers came up with as as somehow not canon the way that i would look at it for lack of any further information or is it th- did she actually invent those spells i mean we have no way of knowing for sure um she certainly has never said so but if you look at some of the other spells that w- appear in the um in the games for example some of that stuff ended up on jkrolling.com, uh, the, the wig and weld and all these things. So so there are things which kind of have made that, that uh, transition between what we would maybe think of as a non-canon source and then have turned up in canon, and then there are other things, such as this Bombarda spell, which never made their way into the films or into the books. And so... It'd be, it'd be interesting to find out sometime what is the status of those particular spells um, the, the, in in Deathly Hallows there are two um, sort of offensive destructive spells used. Confringo would be one. Defodio would be the other. Now, Defodio, of course, comes from the Latin, which means to dig down or to hollow out. So that is a little bit more specific to uh, Hermione cast that when they were trying to get the dragon to un- enlarge that passageway out of Gringotts. And so that, uh, that particular spell... Uh, you know it has a little bit more meaning shades of meaning having to do with digging and things which i don't know why they didn't use it in the in the film perfectly good spell but they you know they didn't and i really would like to know why the there's not some sort of uh, better connection between those two so at some point if we ever get a chance to find out i would love that to be part of i guess part of pottermore as well since that's now our number one source for uh, additional information whether we'll ever learn that, I don't know. And how many years it'll be before Book Seven makes it onto Pottermore? Don't know that either. Um, but uh, we always talk about the books a little bit. Um, I, like we've been talking about the, the the series as a whole, discussing kind of the 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 series as a, as a set of almost seven chapters in one long book. Uh, the first four chapters we talk about as being one. Um, one set of chapters which ends with Harry in a particular state and if you want to hear more about that go back a few episodes in the in the podcast and you can hear quite a discussion about this about the the development of Harry in the book first four books and then the redevelopment if you will of Harry in the in the last uh, four books Um, particularly the the last three books particularly the last two Uh, book five being the kind of transition book but Rowling has said that book four is the pivotal book. That is the, the, that is her term. Um, she, she said uh, that, that, that that book was the turning point. And I think that ties in right with what I was saying, is that that's where Harry's either going to go one direction or another. And the direction he goes or is forced into is what happens in book five. Um, and we talked a little bit about the purpose of book one and kind of what happens in there. I've just as as I said released an electronic book which is a whole reader's guide to book 1 and I've said over and over that I'm uh, kind of lost in book 2 at the moment and talking about chamber of secrets and its and we talked uh, about its its connection to book 6 and about its purpose in the in the in the saga And now we're up to book three, which so many people say is their favorite book. Uh, I think a lot of fans, especially those that are kind of into the literature aspect of it and the meanings of things and the depth of the story, really look at book three as their favorite. And part of that can be because there's a lot of Lupin fans out there, there's a lot of um, uh, serious black fans out there, and all of this kind of comes together in that book. But I think... uh, the, the purpose of book three in the saga. Now, not just looking at it as a really wonderfully plotted book. and just to, uh, I, I would have to say that that book is probably Rowling's best effort in terms of plotting and in terms of just a, a wonderful, incredibly good story. I think book three just really takes the cake there over any of the other ones. Um, when we look at book three, what is the purpose of that one? and uh, one one of the big questions is why doesn't Voldemort appear in this story or why isn't um, what is the final confrontation because it's a little confusing i mean when i think of the final confrontation in book 3 i immediately think of the shrieking shack that strikes me as the final confrontation but for most people i think for a lot of people and certainly for the filmmakers the final confrontation was not the shrieking shack the final confrontation was the big dementor attack at the at the end uh with Sirius and Harry but that to me is is not the point of the book and i guess i'm getting ahead of myself here because i i would say that the that the that in order to kind of get a grip on book 3 we need to kind of go back to book 1 and kind of look at what it was like to read these books when we didn't have anything else, when when book one first came out, when first time we read book one, and now I'm speaking from not having, uh, not not knowing anything about the series, I mean at all, very first reading of book one, it was fun. It was a it was a great story. It was a obviously a richly imagined world. Um, it had a lot of humor in it, and we cared about the characters. We, we, you know, all of the things which now I look back and I think, "Oh, okay, th- th- I don't quite understand how that that seems kind of obvious, or this seems like a like a kind of a." a a a gimme you know (laughs) why this would work the way it did and so then i look for reasons did dumbledore really you know set it all up all that kind of stuff but back then we didn't think that way we just thought of a story and it was a fun story and uh, none of the little errors or glitches or whatever you want to call them the, the minor little plot holes stood out it was just a fun story and um I've, I was a librarian at the time, and I loved the book, and uh, all my fellow librarians told me I would, and they were right. I, I absolutely loved it, and um, I enjoyed it. It I, I, there was, there, there was probably my favorite book I'd read all year, and i read a lot of books. And uh, I read it, you know, once or twice, maybe three times, and I was tempted at that point to start taking notes, because that's kind of my thing. I love to to, to take notes and catalog things, and write down the sources of things, and figure out the meanings of things, and keep track of all the spell words, and I mean, I was a a Latin student, so a lot of that really, I, I right away caught on to some of those spells and where they came from, and wondered about some that I didn't. Didn't, couldn't figure out where they came from and things like this um but but it was a lot of fun and and it was the only one w- there was this promise of another book and certainly got the impression that there was some larger you know mystery involved but it was good uh, but you have to remember that book one came out uh, almost a year later in the u.s from when it came out in britain and by the time i had read book one once or twice uh, book two was already coming out in in uh, in britain but not in the u.s and i I, I remember seeing a, the cover of book two, and it had a flying car on it, and I thought to myself, "Okay, that that doesn't fit with the kind of Victorian era look and feel of the wizarding world that that I loved so much." And and I was determined not to enjoy it. I figured, no, I, this this will do it for me. I, I'm not going to be so such a such a big fan after all, which was a bit of a relief because I really didn't need anything else to get all geeky about because I had plenty of things I was already fan, a fan of so you know I figured that was okay I'll read it when it comes out but I won't be the a huge fan and then of course book 2 did come out and I read it and oh I was completely utterly just captivated but again was it the 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 huge story that 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 it that it seems now well, no, it was just another great story, and the characters, I continued to like them. Um, I loved the, the Weasley's house and the description of that and the magic everywhere and the the new hints and thoughts and ideas, and of course the ending was exciting. This whole, um, you know, Tom Riddle turning out to be Voldemort, uh, that was really cool, uh, um, and, and, and I just really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. And, and you know, I have to say that, that, you know, Tom Riddle being sinister, I got that impression partway through the book already. I felt like, yeah, I don't know about him. And so when it turned out that he was Voldemort, it wasn't a huge revelation, but it was, it was cool. And I loved the way it was done. And I loved the Chamber of Secrets and the, and the Basilisk and all this kind of thing. And it was, it was just a great book. And then book three came along and now book 3 started out um i would have to say different for one thing at the beginning of book 3 harry is not the same character and and now i look back and i think well no look at the way he's growing I, and i i joke about the fact that he he could haul his his um his trunk and everything down those stairs where, you know, in book one he couldn't even get it onto the train. I mean, he's grown up and he's changed, but he's changed so much in the way that he deals with Uncle Vernon and he deals with, uh, you know, being at the Dursleys, whereas before, even at the beginning of book two, he's, he's this sort of, you know, coward not coward, that's not the word cowardly. Um, cowering, <laughs> I guess, would be a way to put it. You know, he's he's still very much uh, under their thumb. And by the end of book two, he's he's changed. And again, we've got to realize we go right from book two into book three. There's no gap in between there. That's just a couple of weeks in between because we've got the phone call that comes in. This is directly as a result of Harry giving his phone number to Ron uh, to, when he... When he, uh, when he, when he's is at the end of book two, and then Ron calls him. And, I mean, you can just see the story continue on, and you know, all of this happens, and and Harry is not uh, cowering at all. I mean, he he agrees to you know, kind of keep himself under control for the sake of maybe getting that that paper signed, but that's about it and he certainly is not happy with with aunt marge or any of that and he just kind of barely controls himself as that goes along and finally there's this you know explosive (laughs) attack of magic if you will and he takes off running he's actually running away from home he's he is definitely not the same child that he was at the beginning of books one and two and so he is he is definitely changed and then he ends up on in Di- uh, in Diagonale staying at the Leaky Cauldron, and he actually has three weeks of freedom and happiness, and he is, uh, he's free, and you know you realize that that is the only time he's happy until book six, pretty much. I mean, this is his last hurrah. This is his last time to be a kid, to be not under crushing pressure, the crushing pressure that comes around when he starts to discover who Sirius Black is and the fact that Sirius Black is chasing him. And then we get into the meaning and the reason for Book 3, because we have Harry grown up just enough to be able to start becoming the superhero. And he is just going to start down this dark path, which is leading through Books 3 and 4 to Book 5. This is the beginning of it. There is a lot going on in this book, a lot of red herrings and a lot of tricks and things like this. And as you're reading this book, not knowing the end, as you're reading this book and starting to put things together, the whole purpose becomes... uh, clear, but not now. It becomes clear when you're done. It doesn't become clear as you're reading so much because it's happening almost without you realizing that the whole purpose of book three is this backstory, is setting the stage, is giving us the information we need to move into book four. Book four doesn't have that kind of backstory to it. It has a whole different backstory. This is the personal backstory. This is Harry's story, his family, his connections, his connection to the wizarding world is now being painted fully with the backstory of the Marauders, and what we have with the map, with 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 Lupin being there, with with Sirius, of course, as, and we assume that Sirius is bad through this whole thing. But as his identity becomes more and more known, and as Harry starts to realize that his existence and his Um, everything about him is tied in with what happened 20 years ago with his parents and with his parents' friends and his parents' enemies. And everything that happened is what is now defining him. And that is what makes this book what it is. It's not the Dementors. It's not the Werewolf. It's none of that stuff. It's Harry and his backstory. But then the real killer moment is when we get that that climax, and this is the climax of the book. The climax of the book is in the Shrieking Shack, because all of a sudden, a rat becomes a wizard. And as a reader, as readers, as fans, what happens at that point is this bolt of lightning, and I've, I've had conversations with fans about this, and we all had that experience, those of us that were reading it without having any other information. That bolt of lightning of... The rat becoming a wizard, and all of a sudden we realized that Rowling has been setting us up from book one, that all of a sudden we're looking at every single little detail, including a little pet rat, and we are looking at all of these things and realizing that we have been missing details, we have been missing clues we have been missing all of the things that we've been looking for they were there we just didn't see them and we started going back as of book three as fans and and fandom at that point exploded book three did not come out with a book party uh, a book release party book three just came out and he went down to the store and got it i mean this was the last one of of this first era of Harry Potter fandom where there were a lot of fans, we're starting to talk, we're getting together online but it's not, it hasn't exploded yet. It was with book three that things really exploded and it was because we suddenly realized that she was leading us on a very interesting path, something we had no idea. We've we we we'd been looking at Scabbers all along and yeah, there was something weird about him. Yeah, this whole jumping up and biting, was it Goyle and the knuckle back in in book one? Yeah, all this stuff happened but All of a sudden, we went, wow, and we dived back into those books, and we started tearing them apart and looking for every little detail and putting all these details together, trying to work out everything. And now you can see why, when we got to those interviews she was doing in 2000, we were just desperate for every little piece of information she could give us, everything we could find which would just possibly give us a little bit more, because now we just realized that she was tricky. She was giving all of this stuff. Was we we didn't trust anything anymore, and so the the enjoyment, the thrill, the the giddiness of being a fan at that time. And and that's right when when MuggleNet started, Leaky started, Lexicon started, all the the, the sites which are still around, which were still um, were still you know Harry Potter sites. Although some of us I, th- I think are kind of expanding out into other fan areas, but you know w- this was when we all got so excited about Harry Potter. This is when fandom really took off and the if you're a, a a big harry potter fan now perhaps coming into it later this is your heritage this is where this is your history you are part of this as you get excited about the books as you get excited about about reading all of these books you, you see the films and you go back and read the books and uh, even if you've never read the books and you just love the films this is your heritage. This this is the, the background of what you are a part of. And I, I wish I could take you all back there and just have you experience how much fun it was. Don't let go of that. Don't think that now, well, it's all done. We've read all seven. We know the whole story. You know what? There is still so much excitement and thrill and fun to be had from reading the Harry Potter books. I'm um, I've read so many books in my life, and especially as a as a children's librarian, I've read a lot of books that are Harry potter which have a lot of stuff to them. Very, very, very few of these books have ever been so engaging, had so much to them, so much depth. I can't imagine writing, I mean, I've written three books now about the Harry Potter series, and I can't imagine writing books of that kind of depth uh, about any other series that I've that I've read, I, I mean, I can think of maybe one other series that I think is 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 exciting because of the depth and the background and the details, uh, and and you know maybe some point I'll I'll start writing a lexicon of that particular book series, but and no, it's not Twilight. Uh, but be excited, read these books, go back and read book three, and and try to, you know, I'm not saying try to forget the films because. You can't. They're part of what's the Harry Potter experience now. I understand that. But then go to Pottermore. Read book one and look at the Pottermore image of book one. Not the film image. The Pottermore image. And you're not going to notice things like, okay, the, 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 probably won't realize, probably won't catch on to the fact that the, the Great Hall in in Pottermore doesn't have the, the hourglasses for the house points on it like the film one does. Because in the books, they're not in the Great Hall. They're in the entrance hall. Every detail in those pictures comes from the books. So look at those. Enjoy those. Kind of lose yourself in those images and in those feelings. Um, and, and if you think about it, the, the, the books themselves, those are the source. Those are where everything came from. Look at those films as just very expensive and wonderful fan fiction. And then create your own. Write your own stories. Uh, write stories using these characters. I mean, if Harry Potter fans, starting then and before then and right until now, have been nothing if not some of the most creative people I have ever, ever met in my entire life. Now, oh, I'm off on my soapbox. But, you know, if you look at book three, which is kind of what we're talking about right now, you look at book three and you th- and you look at the purpose of that book and you see that purpose as being to give us the Harry's personal backstory to create this this well-rounded, wonderful character who we met two books ago and is now being fleshed out with this history of, of his family, of his parents, of his parents' friends, of Snape. Because remember, Snape is really the key figure through this whole thing. And as we look at book three and we see Snape lose it, which quite honestly is is a very disturbing when you look back and you see Snape so out of control, um, and you think about that book as being that uh, that story that backstory being the purpose, then you might understand why for me, book uh, the the third film was the most disappointing. I loved it. It's a fantastic film. I loved the turn of of the the series into something more i don't know artfully done shall we say and i i loved the first two films too but that third one had had so much in the way of just camera angles and and um just the way that that it was put together the humor the the story was was well done the the uh, the, the the story as far as it went because what they missed and which really disappoints me and which is why i really am so sad about that film is that they really missed the whole point, that whole backstory. There were hints of it, certainly, but you never found out why Lupin knew about the map. Would it have been so hard to put in one, at least one little line at the end when he gave the map back to Harry that he was one of the people who created it? Because that's that connection to the past. At that point, Harry is still just connected because, oh, it's a great story. It's a great... This happened a long time ago. It doesn't connect with me. It's not... Now I will say, having that scene with um, Lupin and Harry on the bridge, where they, where he was talking about his mother and and all of that, and that one, I thought that was one of the best scenes in the entire film series. To be honest with you, wonderful scene, and so that to some extent, um, uh, shall we say, saves the film. But again, they they treated the whole thing as a monster story, as a monster story about Dementors and werewolves. The whole ending to them was uh was was the Dementor attack on Sirius. But then they missed the fact that the whole connection of that 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 uh Patronus that we saw was James's Patronus. That was prongs. That was that was it never came out. And you know, obviously those of us who read the book made the connection, but why didn't they make that clear? Why didn't they tie that together? The fact that Harry is seeing his his dad in a sense and himself as being the same person as being he is now a continuation of his father his father is one who could cast this powerful patronus we are seeing harry the superhero being created we are seeing the harry who can take on dragons in book 4 being created by that connection with his father so we are seeing all of the connections made which we are going to have see broken in book 5 you see so in order to have that saga to to be able to have that whole story work out the way it does we have to have those connections made but instead we get lost in the monster story and it's a great movie and it's a great story and i i love the film i'm not saying that i didn't like the film but i did but i am sad about the fact that in spite of the wonderful material that was in front of them they when they made that film they missed the entire point of the book now you could say well to be fair when they made that film we didn't know the whole story and i guess that's true but i remember at the time people who had never read the book saw the film and and i would talk with them and they'd say yeah but we didn't really get it what was this and what was that and how did this connection work and so i would explain it and things like this and i i, I remember one person saying well why didn't they put that in the film I say, well, <laughs> I don't know, but there were uh, shrunken heads which weren't in the books. So I guess they had time for shrunken heads, but they didn't have time for for a few extra little details which would have would have made that film, you know, what it should have been. Now I'm sounding like I'm cutting on that film or cutting on the films and, and I'm, I w- I'm not doing that. I do love the films and I think that the people who made the films and I've met quite a few of them and I, and I know them and I know that their passion is great and they are huge Harry Potter fans and they want it to be good and they want it to be right and they certainly are not trying to shortchange uh, the, the, the stories at all. Um, and the fact that it did in fact happen that way I'm not going to blame them I'm just going to say well, you know, when you make films... You're talking a different language, and so maybe you just are forced to tell a different story. Um, we're going to be keep talking about this stuff. Next book up will be Goblet of Fire. Uh, many, many people tell me that Goblet of Fire is their favorite of the whole thing. Um, I have to say, uh, Goblet of Fire is uh, my favorite in some ways, because it's my favorite to analyze and to try to take apart and to try to think of why things ended up the way that they did because uh, Goblet of Fire unfortunately may be a fascinating book but it also has some of the greatest flaws of any of the series and so it's fun to talk about them not in a negative uh, kind of cutting on the book way but just in terms of again we step out of the story for this and we think okay why did it end up the way it did and so, so looking forward to that opportunities so we'll talk about book four more next time we'll talk about some more sources of things uh, places to, f- to, f- to find additional information Uh, maybe talk a little bit more about Pottermore Uh, I've already seen some hints and tricks and tips and things like that online which is a lot of fun somebody suggested that I should put a big Pottermore section on the lexicon with that kind of thing I don't know that I will just for lack of time I've said before that I I am a school teacher which means at this time of year it's really hard to find hours and hours and hours and hours to devote to something like that Um, but uh, I've put a few details from Pottermore onto the lexicon already uh one of them i think uh, you have to read the the whole section about wandwood when you get to that point and just sit back and read it because it's so much fun and there's there's a few little details about uh, um about Ollivander, and I've and I, and I put a, so a few of those details on the lexicon, not a lot, because uh, certainly not at this point when it's in beta, and a lot of people haven't had, even had a chance to get on there yet, I certainly do not want to start putting things from uh, Pottermore on the lexicon, and have, when some people have not even had a chance to get in there and find it for themselves, so I'm, I won't be putting much more, I did put Ollivander's first name, and I did not put all the other information we have about his family and other relatives, and so so go find that, go read that, and just read about wand wood and why certain woods are are good and Some of that ties with what we've, what i 've looked up and researched about these kinds of woods in, in, in lore folklore there 's a lot of information in folklore, and some of that she 's borrowed directly, some of it she 's uh, modified as she will. Um, But there's a lot of just wonderful information on there. Another great section is the one about McGonagall's history. I think I've mentioned that before. Uh, Another section that you just have to read. It's just so much fun to to find out all of that. Um, I wish there were more, and hopefully there will be uh, more things like that in the future. Um, I'll keep uh, keep my eyes in, uh, open, and I'm going to keep checking back and just just enjoy the artwork and enjoy the the experience of kind of seeing this vision. I have to think that because this ties in so closely with the book that when we are looking at Pottermore, we are seeing Rowling's uh, own vision for um, for for the for the books and the locations and things. Well, I guess that'll about do it for episode eight. Um, uh, I'll put show links up as I always do. I'll put, uh, if you go to the Harry Potter Lexicon website, which is www.hp lexicon.org. And you go there and you will find uh, a, a link at the top for the podcast. If you go there, you'll see show notes for this and the previous episodes as well. Um, so I'll put links on there. I'll put links to AccuQuote because you just need to spend some time in there. It's just so much fun to to wander around through there from a historical sense, but also just to kind of see where some of the information comes from that, that ended up in the lexicon and in the book that I wrote, uh, the lexicon book um and also uh the 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 reader's guide that i just put out remember that's now out for the kindle and for the nook i just had someone tell me that uh, i know the kindle book is available outside of the u.s but uh, the nook apparently you have to be in the u.s or canada to get it so i don't know uh what else to do about that um that's i obviously have no control over that but that's too bad for for users of the nook um I'll kind of look into it and see if it's possible somehow to, to, to make it available in, in Britain specifically is where I got the email uh, and see if it's possible to make it available there as well. Um, those are the only two places I've put it so far. Uh, I've got a connection on the, uh, I think it's the Kobe's, I believe it's called, and I've got a f- follow through on that um, as well. There is a Facebook fan page uh, and there's a link to that that'll be on the show notes as well. Um, I haven't been, Quite as faithful about putting trivia and things on there just because of uh, being so busy right now, but I'll put up more uh, on there soon. There's also, uh, if you, you can uh, email me if you have any questions or comments, steve.lexicon at gmail.com. Or you can uh, follow my Twitter feed, which is uh, lexicon underscore Steve. And that's always fun. There's things come on there every once in a while. So Whenever I face, put something on the Facebook fan page, uh, it also pops up on there. So if you're interested in the trivia, you can just follow it on on Twitter. The fan page is fun, of course, because if you go to the fan page, there's I put polls on there and things like that once in a while. Um, I have to say a big thank you again to Harry and the Potters. Uh, for letting me use the the music that I use for the opening and closing of the show that's uh, I really appreciate that I love that music I always kind of like to hear it uh, and uh, I'm working on the second book for the reader's guide series uh, that one I've, I've about a third of the way through the book right now. Uh, hopefully get that done maybe by Christmas. I was thinking it would be about every six months, but but if I kind of stick with it, I should be able to get that one out by Christmas. Chamber of Secrets is, again, not a particularly long book, so um, that, that I'm hoping to get finished. But for now, that about wraps it up, and uh, this is Steve VanderArk of the Harry Potter Lexicon, and thanks for listening.